chapter 17. John chapter 17 is where we'll be for a moment. Won't stay there long, but we will start there. John chapter 17, if you would. Very familiar verse that we have here. John chapter 17 and verse number 17. Many of you probably even have it memorized, but uh, we'll go ahead. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus <clears throat> makes the statement, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Uh, now, that verse right there alone flies in the face of everything the world wants to believe. Uh, the world wants to say and the truth that the truth is simply relative. That there is no universal reality or universal truth or absolute truth. They, they go against that entire idea. That things that you can possibly say of a certainty that anything is true or not true. Uh, you think over some of the... Uh, I've got a few here that I'm just going to give you. Some uh, are religious in their orientation. Some of them are psychologists and psychiatrists and all those things. And some of them are just these great thinkers, right? These philosophical people who uh, are supposed to be amazingly intelligent. And they put out these statements. Uh, Gandhi puts out the statement, Nobody in this world possesses absolute truth. This is God's attribute alone. Relative truth is all that we know. Therefore, we can only follow the truth as we see it. Such pursuit of truth cannot lead anyone astray. All right. You look around at the world today and everybody's following their own little truth right here. You don't think anybody's gone astray? That's a, that's a foolish statement. Oh, well, as long as you're following whatever truth you think you have, go ahead and you won't go astray. Really? Uh, you get to Nietzsche and he says, there are no eternal facts as there are no absolute truths. Nothing is, nothing. there's no eternal truth, there's no absolute truth. Facts aren't eternal. Really, facts aren't eternal. <laughs> These are the people they hold up as being amazing and smart and intelligent. These are the great thinkers. Feyerabend says, The only absolute truth is that there are no absolute truths. That's a dumb statement. What do you mean? He makes an absolute statement about there not being absolutes. That's a dumb statement. That's what that is. Uh, you go ahead and... I don't know who this woman was, but say a Donnie, say a Dowie, I'm sorry. She says, truth is relative, and there is always something missing in truth that, pre that prevents it from being perfect. Uh, just because you don't give the whole truth doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. That just means that you're a liar. Venier, uh, Venier says, truth is nothing but a formulated perception of experienced reality. Truth is just whatever you experience. Isn't that amazing? These are the people the world wants to hold up. These are the people who are supposed to have these great and wonderfully profound statements to make us just be so in awe at how intelligent and amazing that they are. And they put out these great statements that you can't possibly know what the truth is. No, no, just because you can't figure out the truth doesn't mean truth doesn't exist. The honest reality is either there is truth and it is absolute and the facts are there or there isn't. And if there isn't, then it makes no difference what you and I do. Nothing is real. The world is just a dream. Row, row, row your boat. That's all it is. It's just a little dream. Let's just carry on because it doesn't make a difference. Or there's a standard of absolute truth and God has laid it out for you. The world possesses absolute truth. They don't want to acknowledge absolute truth. That is the difference. And there are certain universal realities, universal truth that is there that a world does not want to recognize because as soon as they do, they are now accountable to what God told them. See, it's not a question of whether truth is able to be gained. It is not a question of whether truth is accessible to mankind. It is not a question of whether truth is attainable. It is the question of will you acknowledge you have the truth and then live by it. 
Man does not like accountability. They like to be lazy. (laughs) Say, how do you know that? Because I like to be lazy. We like to be lazy. We like to have no accountability. We like to do what we want. We like to have our little freedom of liberty where we get to do and be our own boss and have everything we want. And you know what that breeds? That breeds people who are unwilling to look at a book and realize it's the truth sitting right in front of them and do what it says. So they don't want to acknowledge universal reality, universal truth. Instead, they go, well, you know, that's just not how I feel. Okay, if you were here in Sunday school, feelings, how great are those, right? They put you in a mess. You can't trust your feelings. The Lord tells you the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our heart deceives us. It tricks us into thinking things and we make it a decision based upon our emotions and we find out how poor that decision normally is. And man says, well, I don't want to deal with God's truth. I don't want to deal with the truth. I don't want to deal with reality. They want to deal in whatever their little dream world is. You and I are constantly bombarded. Now, I'm going to say some things. Most of the kids are gone. I'm going to say a couple of things right here. You and I live in a world today where they want you to believe whatever it is they want you to t- want to tell you about themselves. Well, you have to call me a girl because I feel like a girl. You have to call me by that because that is my, that is my, that is my identity. This, I, I identify like this. Okay? Well, then I identify as a sane human being. I'm not calling you that. No, you're judging me. No, now you're judging me. I'm a sane human being. I don't have to do that. I don't have to enter your psychosis to go ahead and help you. In fact, it's better for you if I don't enter your psychosis. The world wants a reality and they want to keep their little reality and they want to keep their little world and then they look around at you and go, how come you can't jump into my reality and be part of my truth? Because your truth is a lie. I do not have to go along with your truth. And the world says, well, no, if you want, and the answer goes, okay, well, the problem is I have the truth. And you can either stand with the truth or you can believe a lie. But it doesn't change what the truth is. You can try to act like truth is relative and decide that your truth is different than my truth and that you can live in your truth and you can go ahead. But if your truth doesn't line up with the word of God, you don't have the truth. And the world is a constant of bombarding you with the idea and to think that truth is just relative and that it doesn't make any difference and there's no real absolutes and it's crept into Christianity all over the place. Well, you can't tell me what to do. Well, you can't, why would the preacher get up and tell you that that's wrong? I mean, really, I mean, a little drink every once in a while doesn't hurt anybody. Well, you know, I mean, I don't do that all the time. It's just recreational. Oh, well, you know, I mean, uh, I can do that. You know, the Lord says I'm under grace. Oh, well, I, I have liberty. Why does the preacher have to put all those rules in place? Well, why do we have to have any standards? Well, why should... Say, what is that? Now you just question absolute truth. Now I get there's variances on standards and not everybody has the same standards and don't get me wrong, you shouldn't have the same standards. The Lord puts certain things in your life that tells you what to do in certain areas. Uh, But there's some things that are just straight black and white. (laughs) There's lines that he has drawn perfectly for everybody. (laughs) And the world doesn't like the idea of absolute truth because that makes somebody wrong and that could make them feel bad. Isn't your job as a parent to teach your child right from wrong? I'll tell you what, if it's just to make them feel better, you're in trouble. And so are they. I was reading, I was reading some illustrations. I was reading through some stuff, and uh, I actually wasn't even going to talk about this one. Uh, but uh, I was reading it, and it was so powerful to me. It was, it was something, and I said, I'm going to save that for a different message. Uh, but I'm going to use it now. Because I want you to see the severity of the truth. And there was a newspaper article, and the guy was quoting the article. He was talking about it, uh, and I don't have it with me, so I don't have the exact quotes. But uh, this man, he had, uh, it was 
Uh, it was on a Saturday. He was out and he went into he went out into a, his field and stuff. He was walking out there with his son, and the son was running around, little 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 boy running around out in the field and doing things. And the dad sat down under the under the shade of a tree. It was a warm day. He sat down and he's sitting there, and his son's running around. He's watching his son, and he's grabbing flowers and grass and going, "Oh, pretty dad!" And he throws it over to his dad, and you know all this playing, and his kids just run around, and soon he just dozed off to sleep for a few minutes. He wakes up and his first thought is, where's my child? And he gets up and he's frantically calling for his son. He runs over the hilltop and he looks down the hill and he doesn't see his son down in the valley over there. And he runs over and he gets over to the edge of a cliff. And he looks down and there's his son at the bottom. Broken body. The body of his dead son's down there. And he runs down and he climbs down that mountain face, that little cliff face, and he gets down there to the rocks and he picks up his son and he's holding his son and he's saying, I murdered my son, I murdered my son. How many parents in this life have stopped looking and they fell asleep watching for their kids to protect them? And they lost their kids to a world. Not because their kids made choices after they got out, but because nobody cared enough to give them right and wrong while they were growing up and tried to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart. There's a reason God gave you the truth. There's a reason we have certain things that we talk about and certain things the Lord has laid out, and there is absolute truth that is absolutely universal for everybody on this planet, and God gave it to you. And He gave it to you in the Bible. And I won't get into big, big thing on Bible. This isn't about Bible versions or anything else. But the truth is absolute. And two things that are different are not the same. Absolute truth. The words of the Lord are pure words. And he gave you the words he wants you to have. And he put them in a book so that you could hold them. And he didn't leave them in some dead language. He put them in a language for you and I to have. And he made him pure and clean and perfect still right now. This is the other area where Christianity has failed to remember God gave us absolute truth. And he didn't give you absolute truth that is unattainable. He gave you absolute truth that you could go to, turn to, and have comfort in. Either you have the scriptures and all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or you don't have the scriptures and God's a liar. So those are strong words. That's because God promised. He preserved them from this generation forever. So they're not in some missing book somewhere in some original. They are here today on the planet accessible to you. And if they aren't accessible, then God's a liar. And you don't have absolute truth and we can forget about it. But we have absolute truth. You have it in the pages of a Bible. You have it in the pages of a King James Bible. And the truth is that God has made sure you and I can understand the truth. And there is universal truth that goes across the board for every human being on the planet. And we're going to cover a few of those today. There is a universal reality and the world doesn't like it and some Christians don't like it. But it's truth. And this morning we're going to talk about that universal truth. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for your goodness. I pray you'd help me. Lord, to keep my mind focused on exactly the intent and the message that you've given me today, I pray, Lord, that it would be your thoughts and your words and not mine. Father, that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. You'd give me great wisdom as I speak. Lord, that I would not be a hindrance to anything that's said or done today. Father, I do pray that you would get all the praise and the honor and the glory. I have no idea if someone here is unsaved that has never accepted Christ as their Savior. I pray they would do that today. I pray they'd heed the call of the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading with them to come, to come to a great Savior, the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'd be with us that are saved, that we wouldn't lose, we wouldn't lose focus on the fact that we do have a universal and an absolute truth and we're holding it and we can trust it and we can believe it and we can hold those truths right there in our hands and understand that we have everything that we need to know about God. Lord, we pray that you would bless our day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3.
Romans chapter 3. So you're pretty excitable about the truth. I don't like lying. <laughs> I'm just not a big fan of lying. The Lord doesn't like lying, by the way. Uh, six t- things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. A proud look. Second one, a lying tongue. There it is. Uh, he doesn't like liars. Uh, he doesn't like them. In fact, uh, lying is so bad in the eyes of God that he puts it on the list of things that make sure you end in a lake of fire for all of eternity. All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth them. That's, that's the judgment. Well, I hadn't done too much wrong. I just told a couple lies. Okay. Well, then you're a liar. <laughs> this is the reality they don't like. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, I want you to understand, first universal truth that, that shows up real well over and over throughout the scriptures is all people are ruined by sin. All people are ruined by corruption. There's nothing in this world where you and I are not corrupted. Uh, the world has, the, mankind is, is corrupt and they've been corrupt since Adam and Eve took the fruit in the garden. They have been corrupted. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Uh, it's the question of, well, are you an Adam? Well, of course, I sinned. I'm his. <laughs> We're part of his line. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The, rea- the reality is that man all sin. There is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. There is not one person on this planet that has not committed a sin. There is one human being that has ever lived that hasn't sinned. His name was Jesus, and they killed him. They crucified him to pay the debt of your sins. We'll get to that in a moment. But the truth is, everybody on this earth struggles with one same exact problem, and it's called sin. All have sinned. You know what the world doesn't want? Well, you know, I mean, it's not really your fault. It's probably your upbringing. I mean, if, they, if your parents had treated you better, I mean, if, if they'd have loved you and nurtured you a little bit more, or, you know, maybe if they gave you a popsicle instead of you know, a cookie, you'd have, been, you'd have been much better off. And I mean, what are we doing? Uh, just excuse all their sins. I mean, they probably didn't mean to do it that way. Uh, it's, just, it's just, you know, how they felt for the day. I mean, you can't get mad at him. I mean, he just gets angry sometimes. No, no, he's a sinner. His problem is he's ruined by sin. Humanity is ruined by sin. You and I are sinners. (laughs) Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ saving us, you and I are sinful people. And the world doesn't want to recognize, people don't want to recognize, well, how could you tell me that I'm wrong? I I know what I think is right. (laughs) Well, I just do what feels good to me. Let's be honest. If you did everything that felt good to you while you were driving a vehicle... I know where we are. Uh-huh. You do everything that felt great to you. Uh, when you have a Silverado, you would ram somebody else's vehicle. Don't tell me that John Metelski wouldn't go ahead and ram somebody with that big Ford F-250 diesel. He's got, he'd have run them off the road by now. Because I would have. Uh, <laughs> I think Patrick just called you out. <laughs> Pastor would, too. Anyway, Pastor Legault, he'd go, I would. If I did everything that was in my heart, if I, if I, I know some of you are sweet. I'm not that sweet. You get into some touchy situations, driving in vehicle, you're going, the world is wrong with that guy. If I had my way, uh uh-huh. If mankind always did everything that made them feel the way they wanted to go. It'd be worse than it is now. But it's starting to look like that's what they want to do. 
and the restraint is becoming less and less because nobody wants to tell them that they're wrong. They don't want to believe, oh, that you could do something wrong. Not my child. You already know Uriah's wicked, all right? Elijah is shaping up just like his brother. Oh, sweet, he's got that nice little smile. He's, he's learning that he loves the word no. He's also learning what happens when you say no to mom and dad. He doesn't like that either. But you got to tell him, that's wrong. We don't do that. That's not right. A world doesn't want to hear that. How can you tell me that I'm wrong? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If you're in here this morning, you've never recognized the fact that you're a sinner. Uh, I want to inform you, I got some bad news. You're a sinner. Well, what's sin? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know what's right and you don't do what's right. That's sin. All unrighteousness is sin, the Bible says. Well, just not doing right is sin. There it is. I didn't do the right thing. Okay, well, then you sinned. Mankind is so sinful, they don't even acknowledge how much they have done. They don't want to. But for all have sinned. We'll go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Mankind is sinful. We are all ruined by the corruption of sin. If you hadn't figured that out by now, that this world is corrupt, I don't know really what to do for you. If this is the closest thing that the world could figure out to make it heaven, they have no concept of heaven. You get to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Apostle Paul says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge, unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time. Not only were we all ruined by corruption of sin, but we were all ransomed by Christ Jesus, our Savior. Uh, there, is, there is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ransom that was paid. You realize that we are all under bondage. The Bible says that we are in the bondage of sin. We're trapped. We're holding with the cords of sin. Sin has come and we're, its master, we're under its taskmaster and we're the ones who are slave to it. And Jesus Christ says, I'll, I'll buy them back. I'll pay a ransom. Oh, you got them in captivity? I'll pay, I'll pay. What's the fee? The fee was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ransom of the debt of all of our sins. The Bible says we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold for our vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Not only are we all ruined by sin, but the Lord made a ransom for all of us. There is not one person upon the planet that isn't a sinner, but there's not one person on the planet Jesus Christ didn't die to redeem. Dr. Andrew Bonner, he was a minister over in Scotland. He once said, that although the mystery of how sin should have come into this world was still there, it was still an even greater mystery how God should have come here to bear the penalty of it all himself. The thought that God would go ahead and pay the penalty of all of your sins and all of my sins. Isn't that unfathomable? That God would go ahead and sacrifice his own son and pay the debt of our sins? That's a real truth that the world really doesn't want to acknowledge. They're all right with him as a baby in a manger. They're all right with going ahead and talking about him at Christmas time a little bit here and there. But even then they try to keep it down. Don't talk about a savior has come. I mean, we talk about a little baby in a manger and put it through a little manger scene. But don't you talk about what he's about to do. Don't you talk about why he came into the world to save sinners. 
Don't you go ahead and keep talking about them a little further than that. Let's just go. Can't we all just get along and be quiet about these things? Well, you got to tell me that I'm a sinner. And then on top of that, now you got to tell me I need a Savior? Well, you don't need a Savior if you're not a sinner. But if you are a sinner, you need one. And Jesus Christ made sure to pay it all. We sing that hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. The truth is that God went ahead and he said, you know what I need? I need to devise the means. Uh, We read it earlier, a little bit of it, excuse me, there in Romans chapter 3. And it said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then he starts talking about being justified freely by his grace. And then he talks about how he had to send Jesus and he said that he might be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. You know what God had to do? He had to figure out a way that you and I could be a sinner and show up in heaven. (laughs) He had to take the likes of you and I and go ahead and say, I know they're sinners, but I want them with me forever. So you know what I'll do? I'll die in their place and I'll take all their sin. Wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. The price that was paid was the ransom that needed to be paid to free you from the bondage of all of your sins. It was the thing that freed you from the uh, corruption that you and I were facing. Because you and I deserved a lake of fire for all of eternity. And Jesus Christ says, I'll become sin for them. I'll go ahead. I'll take the punishment. I'll make the payment. I'll lay down. I'll give my life a ransom for many. He turns over. He says, you know what I'll do? I'll live a sinless, perfect life that you will never be able to make. And then I'll exchange my life for yours. My life will take in place of your life, and I'll pay all of your sins. The debt of man's sin is paid, and it's paid in full. There is no shortage on the ransom that was paid. I've told this illustration before, but I love this illustration, so I'm going to tell it again. If you're tired of it, get used to it, because I like this one, so you're probably going to hear it an awful lot until the Lord comes. Little boy, he uh, he built that boat. Remember that? I love that story. That's little boy. We got a new guy. Yeah, we got a visitor. He hadn't heard this story. All right. See, I gotta tell it. I gotta tell it just for you. I gotta tell it just for you. All right. Um, amen. That's why we need visitors so I can tell the same stories, right, Pastor? Yeah. Um, act like you didn't help me out. Um. There's this little boy, and he's, he's got this boat, and he's sanded this thing. And he's, he's building this little boat. He makes his own little sailboat. And he paints it all up just the way he wants it. And, I mean, it's, it looks beautiful. It's clean. Him and his dad worked. He's, he's so happy. He's so proud of himself for getting this little boat built, little sailboat. And, and he starts sailing around the little creek behind their house. And he'd run after it along the banks, and he'd pick it up before it got too far away. And, and he's playing with it. All of a sudden, this big sweeping storm just comes right through. And the water just starts flowing down that, and all of a sudden that creek rose just a little too much. And that boy's running as fast as he can, but he can't catch up to his little sailboat shooting down that little creek. He loses it off in the, in the distance, and he looked and he looked. He just couldn't find it. His mom sent him into the, into the little store in town, and he comes walking in, and he looks up, and right behind the counter, he sees his boat hanging right there on the wall. And he says... Hey, that's my boat. I made that boat. That's my boat. And the shopkeeper said, no, no, son, I found that boat. That boat's mine. And if you want it, you got to buy it. And that little boy goes, that's my boat. I made that boat. What do you mean I got to buy it? It's my boat. He said, son, this is the price, and you got to buy it. Boy mad, but he, he says, fine. He walks out. Goes, I start working a little odd jobs, doing anything he could to get money. He comes scrimping and saving, and not too long later, he comes walking back in that store. And he says, I want my boat. And the store owner says, son, we've been through this already. 
that's my boat. I found it. You got to pay for it. And all of a sudden, the kid slaps a bunch of money down on top of that counter. All the little change and all the things he piled up. And that shopkeeper starts counting. And sure enough, he's got enough money. And he goes ahead, he reaches up, and he says, okay, here you go. And he hands him that boat. And that kid grabs that boat, and he hugs it tight. And as he first steps out those doors, all he hears from, all the shopkeeper hears from him is, you're mine twice. I made you, and I bought you. And Lord Jesus Christ looks at you, and he says, I made you, and that sin ruined you, and it put you under a new taskmaster. It put you under somebody who wasn't going to treat you well, who didn't love you the way that I love you, but I'm willing to buy you. I'm willing to pay all. And the Lord ransomed an entire world if they're willing to take the payment. He ransomed all. Look over at Acts chapter 13. Just the thought that that mystery that God should come to bear the penalty of our sins on himself. The thought that God would love you enough to go ahead and although he knows how terrible you are and how much you fall short and how many times you're going to fail him, he still said, you know what, I love you enough, I'll pay for it all. You ever get in the situation where you start something and you think, okay, well, I know how much this is going to cost and you're kind of ready to go. And then all of a sudden it starts costing more than you thought it would. You ever been there? Well, anyways, uh, you've been there. The Lord knew how much you were going to cost. He knew every time you'd fail him. He knew every sin you'd commit. He knew everything you'd ever do wrong. Every terrible thought you'd have, every terrible thing you'd say, everything you'd do, all he has it all. He knew everything, and you know what he said? Still worth it. Still worth it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He says here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Here's Jesus Christ. Paul preaching, he's talking about Jesus Christ and who he is. I'm sorry, Peter preaching on who he is. And it's Jesus Christ who, the, who raised from the dead. And it's that, guess what? Everybody... All that believe are justified from all things. <laughs> Say, what's this universal truth we're dealing with right here? What's the reality right here? It's that all are redeemed by confessing Him. All of them. We're all redeemed. We're all bought. The ransom's been paid, but it gets put into effect when you and I call upon Jesus Christ alone. It is not just the idea that we're a sinner, and it's not just the idea that we know that He died for our sins. It is not enough to know those things. It's not enough just to know that. There's plenty of people that go, well, I know Jesus. You say, well, what did He do? Uh, well, you know, he, he, he was a baby, and He came, and you know, He, he lived a life, and I, He did a lot of cool things. You know, He told all those really good sayings and stuff about, you know, the Beatitudes and stuff like that. You know, He had, he had some really good teaching. He had those parable things that He talked about all the time. And, you know, He, uh, he healed a lot of people, and He took care, and He raised that dude Lazarus or something like that. And, uh, you know, he was, he was a good guy. He had some great teachings. And then, uh, you know, I mean, He died pretty rough death right there. But, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. That's not enough. That's not enough. Well, I know, I know he died, and I, I, I guess he probably died for my sins or something like that, you know, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a good guy. That's still not enough. 
Well, I mean, yeah, he rose from the dead, and, and I believe God raised him up from the dead, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's alive. He's really good. I mean, he's God. He's amazing. Sinless. Still not enough. You know, President Lincoln, when he gave out the proclamation of the emancipation of the slaves, he wrote out, and it was sent across the entire northern border, northern line. They posted it all over. You realize if a slave were to come up and someone who was enslaved walked up there and they read that, if they could read or if someone gave them the explanation and told them what that was all about and the contents of it, that they were emancipated, they were freed, and they were no longer in bondage to their servitude that they were under, that if they turned around and walked back underneath the master that they had just been under, they turn around and they walk back and they go willingly right back into slavery right where they were, that didn't mean that the emancipation wasn't available. That meant they never accepted what the document had to say. They never put faith in the document that it was true. And the truth is that man who wants to have a knowledge of the historical events of Christ's life, they want to know all the great things about what he did and how amazing he was and all of his wonderful teachings and the principles that he can give them and all these things that they put in place and they go, all oh, these are just so wonderful and he was a great man and he was a great teacher and he was... That does nothing until you believe what the document said about him. And you know what the document says? That he is the Son of God who came to pay the debt of your sins. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess to thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If he never adds that, a trustful, sur that trustful surrender to the mercies and the graces of God, he will not get salvation. It is either the trust that I am going to believe that not only am I a sinner and not only did he pay my debt of sin at Calvary and he rose again to seal my victory, I'm going to trust him. I have no merit of salvation outside of Jesus Christ and his mercies. Without that, you don't have salvation. Without asking him to be your savior, there is no salvation. You are still just the same as you were when you walked in without Him. You may have learned some more about Him today. You may have learned some more about Him in this life. You may have learned some things all the way up to here, but you've never asked Him to be your Savior. You know what you don't have? You don't have a Savior. And it's not a lacking on His side. He has presented you with the absolute truth that you are a sinner. And it's ruining you. And it's ruined you for all of eternity if you don't take Jesus as your Savior. He has paid the ransom for all. And He wants to save all. Everybody died because of Adam. That's why we die. We die because we're sinful because of Adam. And Jesus Christ came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He wants to give us eternal life. If you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be redeemed simply by a confession. Say, what is that? Confessing the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That he paid the debt for you. And that you want to trust him as the Savior because he is the only Savior. That you in and of yourself cannot make it to heaven because your good works will never be enough because you're too busy being a sinner. I mentioned it earlier, all liars shall have their part. One lie keeps a man out of heaven. One lie. Nothing defiling can enter heaven, he says in Revelation. There whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, just one, can't get in. Unless you get the Lamb's Book of Life. Unless you get a payment. Unless you get a ransom paid and you accept the payment. And he buys you back. We weren't redeemed with corruptible things. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. There is one thing in all the universe that can wash a man of their sins. The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. It's up to you whether you've taken that. The universal truth the world doesn't want to recognize is salvation is easy. Religion doesn't want to recognize it. 
religion says, well, no, you've got to go to this person or you've got to do this thing or you better hope your good works outweigh your bad works or you, you, know, you, you need to be a good person or you need to be in church or you need to do this and you need to... Okay. Except the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. Well, yeah, yeah, but I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm a good man. Everybody's a good man. Yeah, but have you told a lie? Well, then you've been ruined by sin. You can't get into heaven. Good news, though. All the ransom's been paid. And if you want the payment applied, all you've got to do is admit that Jesus Christ paid for you and ask him to be your Savior. But I got one more. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. For a moment, you all thought I was ahead of schedule, but I got one more. See that? Romans chapter 14, verse number 10. I talked about standards at the beginning of this, and you're reading this chapter a little bit, and you find out that one man esteems a day above another and everything else, and somebody doesn't esteem any day and all that, right? That's where you get into those personal things. Somebody does this and somebody does that, and it really doesn't matter. It's not a black and white spot. It's what the Lord's telling you to do. And so the Lord tells us this in verse number 10, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall at his brother's way. Now, this is a conditional all. Most of the time, right, the idea is all means all. And that's a true statement. All does mean all. It means everybody. Except right here, it's everybody in the audience. And the audience is the church. It's the saved individuals. We must all, meaning we as in the church, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved in here this morning, you've already done those things. You've gotten to the place where you recognize that you were a sinner. You recognize that Jesus Christ paid the ransom. You recognize that you wanted to be redeemed, so you called upon Jesus Christ, and He redeemed you, and He bought you, and He paid for the price, the price of all of your sins, and He took you, and you accepted Him as your Savior. Uh, then you get to this wonderful spot right here where, guess what? You and I are going to stand at a judgment all of our own. We're all rewarded, though, for our commitments. Notice this, we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to go ahead and you say, well, I mean, that sounds scary right there. That is a little scary. It's a little trepidatious. I mean, you stand in front of God, you're going to give account of everything that you've done. I don't give an account for everybody else's actions in the room, but I do give an account for mine. I don't give an account for everything everybody does in their day, but I do give an account for everything I do in my day. I give an account for how I'll lead the church. I'll give an account for how I lead my family. I'll give an account, but I don't give an account for how you do what you do personally in your life. The choices you make, I don't make your choices, nor do I want to make your choices. <laughs> I got plenty of choices of my own. I don't need to make yours. And we're all going to give an account of ourselves to God. That's why he says, hey, don't you worry about judging anybody else. The Lord's going to make sure they're judged. Or going to take care of the brother. How about this? How about you watch out for putting stumbling blocks in front of your brethren so they don't fall on their face? How's that one right there? That's where that ended. But instead, you know what he's saying? We know if we go over to Corinthians, we look over at the parallel, we look at the rest of the story, that Jesus Christ is ready to give us gold, silver, and precious stones if we're willing to serve him. Yeah, there's wood and there's hay and there's stubble and it's going to be burned and every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it for it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. But do you realize that the judgment seat of Christ is not about God making you feel terrible? <laughs> it, the judgment seat of Christ isn't there to make you feel like, like you were the worst person ever. Right. Hey, what's he doing? 
He wants to reward His servants when He comes. He, wa he wants to reward us. He wants us to be committed so that we can go ahead and do what He asked us to do so He can give us great reward. You know what He wants? He wants every Christian on the planet to show up in front of Him when a trumpet sounds and you and I step in front of Him and we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we stand there face to face with our Savior. You know what He wants to say to everybody? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That's what He'd want. How you doing? Just like the lost man has the opportunity to trust Him as the Savior, you have the opportunity to be committed to do what He asked you to do. I say, what's He asking me to do? I don't know, but this wasn't in my notes either, but I'll do it. man once said, it's easy to follow somebody's footsteps when you walk close behind them. But the farther away you get, the harder it is to see the footsteps and to know the way they'd want you to take. How close are you to Jesus Christ? You know, the closer you are, the easier it is to figure out what way He'd want you to take. When do we get lost in the shuffle? When we let Him get far away because we pull away and we can't hear His voice and we don't understand what He wants. Christianity at times has made the idea that the will of God is supposed to be this great hallowed mystery that nobody should know. That He's playing a weird shell game with you and He's making you guess between the choices to see if you find the little ball underneath or not. Why would He play such a game when He wants you to give Him glory, honor, and power? Why would he do such a thing to try and... His job is not to confuse you. The devil's job is to try and confuse you. He's not up there going, all right, let's see if they can figure me out today. He's going, all right, all they have to do is just follow me so I can reward them when they, when they get here. He's looking to reward us. He wants to give rewards to everybody, and everybody has the ability to get a reward. I firmly believe that. Well, you know, I just don't have any talent. Yeah, you do. You got something in there, Lord, use. You got something kicking around in there the Lord can go ahead and use and make sure that you can go ahead. Just ask Him, what do you want me to do? Well, that's scary. He may ask me to do... And there's no commitment. There's no reward. You know what's amazing is that God would want to use us. He took you from knowing how terrible you are. <laughs> We're ruined by our sin. The curse of sin is upon us. And he says, you know what I'll do? I'll pay, the, I'll pay the ransom. I'll redeem you with that ransom and save you for all of eternity if you'll trust me. We trusted him. And then he goes, okay, now I'm going to do some cool things with you. And let you do some things that you just couldn't believe you'd ever be able to do. You look around a room and you know what you find? You find people who have victory over things the world never gets victory over. They never, the world doesn't, they have a hard time in and of themselves getting past any abuse, any pains, hurts, physical, mental, emotional, the damages other people have done, the damages they've done to themselves between drugs and alcohol and other abuses that they take upon themselves they go ahead and all the things that people struggle with and the problems that they have and they can't get victory over drugs they can't get victory over cigarettes they can't get victory over this they can't get victory over that they can't get victory over the other things that they allowed into their lives and they can't seem to get rid of it and jesus christ shows up and saves them for all of eternity and you know what they get they get victories they never thought they could possibly have if they're willing to make some choices he wants to reward us. He's not this taskmaster that stands there waiting to slam you. That's the devil. The devil was the taskmaster. He's Egypt. And the taskmaster's whipping the servants, getting them to work. The Lord's a loving master, a loving God who wants to be a father and would much rather have you serve him with love and reward you greatly. Because the rewards are way better than anything we could ever do. 
You look around, what are you going to give God that he couldn't do himself? What do you have to offer him like you're so amazing? Like, hey, don't worry, God, I'll take care of that for you. The Lord says, no, no, how about you do this for me? To obey is better than sacrifice. I'll give you some things to do. Here you go. Oh, and by the way, I'll pay you for it when you're done. As if saving you for all of eternity wasn't enough. He says, you know what? Uh, you do a few things for me. I'll go ahead. I'll just keep rewarding. I got plenty. I got plenty, and I'm never in any man's debt. The Lord is never in any man's debt. He makes sure to pay, and he pays well. He pays well. This morning, a world doesn't really want you to have absolute truth. They want to deny it. They want to deny the possibility. They want to go against everything that the Bible tells you about it. But the truth is that there is absolute truth. You have it in a Bible. You'll hold it in your hands. You can read it. You can study it. You can look it over. You can see what God says. You can compare all the things in it. But you'll find definitely the universal truth that everybody has been ruined by their corruption of sin. Everybody has the ransom paid by Jesus Christ. And if they would be willing to be redeemed, God will redeem them if they'd trust Him. They'd confess in faith and believe Him. And He's willing to reward all of His servants and reward them well if they just commit to doing what He asked them to do. What we do and how we do, or is ready. Say the devil will make you doubt all those things. The world makes you doubt, tries to make you doubt all those things. Oh, it's a waste of time to serve God. It's a waste of time to do. Why don't you just live your life for you? Because I have a better, I have a better Savior. I have a better God, and it's an honor to serve Him. And He's going to reward. And he's going to reward well. Let's go ahead and stand. I don't know if anybody in here this morning is lost, unsaved, has never accepted Christ as their Savior. In a moment, we're going to sing an invitation hymn. People are going to come possibly to the altar. They may do some things. They may be praying and asking the Lord to help them out with some things. Never accepted Christ as your Savior. You'll have an opportunity to come and get my attention and we'll take a Bible and we'll open the Bible and we'll show you what God says. The truth about what God says about your sin about what Jesus Christ has done and what you need to do, your requirement of accepting Jesus Christ and how that works and how you can know forever that your sins are forgiven. The truth is there. People oftentimes, well, you know, what is truth? And we don't really know what the truth, you know what the truth is. And if any man were honest, he'd understand those things that I said this morning are absolutely true. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to come. If you're lost in here, you never asked Jesus to be your Savior, I'll ask you to come and get my attention and we'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven forever. If you're saved in here, maybe you just want to rejoice in the fact that you got a Savior and that He's going to reward you one day and you love Him for it. What a wonder it is that God is so good to us. Lord, I do pray that you would bless the hour. I thank you so much for Jesus Christ and the redemption that was brought at Calvary. I pray you would bless our day. We love you and pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen.